Good afternoon. Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for June 23rd, 2011, coming to you live from inside of a cast-out armoire in the Bellagio parking lot. Um, the Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. This is the best podcast you'll hear all day, guaranteed, or your money back. Um, let me go around the virtual table and introduce the guys. We have Mr. Jeff Simpson, author of the always insightful Simpson on Vegas column on Two Way Hard Three. Welcome, Jeff. Greetings, everyone. Chuck Monster, the head stick man at VegasTrickMe.com. What's happening, Chuck? Not a mucho. Happy to be here. Happy whatever day is. Rock and roll. Dr. David Schwartz, director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey, great to be here. And my name's Hunter Hillegas, and I did a little app called Vegas Mate. Um, we're gonna, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, so we're going to get into it in just one second. Quick reminder uh, for listeners, the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic is going to be October 22nd in Las Vegas. Uh, you can learn more at VegasInternetMafia.com, and we'll be sharing more details as they're available, but that's sort of a save-the-date warning. All right, um, let's just jump right into it. Let's we're going to start by talking about Bellagio. Um, Chuck, this is uh, you. You had some exclusive photos of the um, redesigned rooms uh, that you posted on Vegas Tripping this week. Do you, can you um, quickly explain kind of uh, what you got and um, what people will see when they see, read your post? Yeah, uh, well, the the post is by Mike E. And oh, he uh, didn't yeah, even he, didn't even realize that. Yeah, he uh he uh, uh one of our lovely readers had sent him some photos of the rooms which uh from what we hear there's there's only a handful of these, you know, maybe a dozen or so that they've done. Uh it could be that they're still in the test stage. They want to see how long the the wear is going to go with these or or what have you. But uh the 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 rooms are you know, if you look at the photos, um, you know, you can pretty much make your own decision. Uh, when I first saw them, I kind of – I had a head-scratcher of a moment, probably a couple days of head-scratcher before I, I commented on it. And, uh, you know, they, they went with this this uh, kind of bizarre green uh, uh, color scheme thing, which doesn't seem very Bellagio to me. Um, but I, but I think I understand what the impetus is with with the mirage designs. Uh, they kind of brought the the volcano inside with the brown and reds and oranges, like that real big fire thing was 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 uh, that was the theme of their twentieth anniversary was the volcano. And I think at Bellagio they're trying to bring the um, the conservatory up into the rooms to a degree. And on one wall behind the bed, there's this gigantic, uh, very uh, Wynn-esque floral print uh, wallpaper thing. It's a non-repeater. It just kind of goes over the span of, of, of the side of the wall. And it looks like a kind of like a tiki hotel room, like a modern version of, a, of an old like Hawaiian palm fronds on the wall, wallpaper sort of deal. And um, there's a lot of contrast between the 
the the furnishings and the flooring and you know some of the design language like the shapes and whatnot they're they're consistent between the halls and some of the furnishings and whatnot but the problem I have with the rooms is that they're they're kind of overdone. It's it's incredibly overdone. It, it doesn't seem tasteful or elegant in any kind of way. Like I I would rather they have gone the the um, the Aria route because Aria's rooms are very understated in their design. You know they're just they use some contrasting kind of fabrics and stuff. But when you start getting too many patterns in a small space, those rooms are not that big. Um, you know, it gets to be kind of dizzy and confusing. You know, we'll know better when we're actually in the rooms and we can see them. But just based on the initial photos, I, I find it to be a questionable design. And it, it knocks Bellagio down from being uh, their elegant, uh, you know, it was the the top dog of the company for, you know, a dozen years or so. And now it it kind of looks like, you know, like like the stardust almost yeah. to a weird kind of degree. So I, I'm pretty disappointed in this, and I'm hoping that that someone there has read the commentary because people yeah. who 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 posted comments, everybody had very divergent but kind of unified views that it doesn't really do the property justice. Right, and you know you want to you want to be able to validate those rates. Well, I. I would have. I mean, my my initial reaction. I agree with a lot of what you said. I would I would say a few things. One, if you showed me those pictures and didn't tell me what hotel it was, I never would guess Bellagio, no. because I think it's one of my primary criticisms is it seems very disconnected from what I feel Bellagio is about, um, and I think that that's in in some ways been a consistent criticism since MGM took over Bellagio in terms of some of the changes that they've made though i think this one seems the most disconnected from um from sort of what i imagine a Bellagio thing to be and and you're right um Bellagio is still one of the top properties in the city and so in some ways there's like a responsibility to show what Las Vegas has to offer with a great room product and I, you're right. We haven't been in them. I would look forward to staying in them and trying them out. But um, it, it's for something that was as widely anticipated as this. I mean, I know a lot of people have been waiting to see what this will look like. This was yeah. delayed for a long time because MGM had a lot of financial trouble. Yeah. Um, this seems underwhelming. And talking to some people, you know, they're saying that it looks like they tried to do some this on the cheap. Yes, and uh, it's. I was surprised, and I guess I would say disappointed. The only the only really positive thing I had to say is thank goodness they got rid of some of that furniture, which was yeah. just square footage crushing. The, some yeah. of that furniture in there was just way too the old furniture was just way too big for the room. Yeah, I I like the 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 TV and the mini bar and the closet and the desk. Like those furnishings look kind of cool. You know, but the rest of it, the bed, like the linens have these little pips on them and it looks like like a grandmother kind of like an old funky hospital blanket <laughs> or something. It just it does not it does not exude the kind of juice that one would hope. But you know, this could be the natural progression of Bellagio slowly falling down, you know, the tier of resorts. It's it's just the way it is. And one would think MGM since they're full owners of Bellagio, right? You know, 
it's really kind of in their money interest to right. a degree to keep people in there. And maybe they're thinking, well, you know, they're, the clientele is changing now at Palagio. It's not who it was. It's poker guys and it's, you know, it's, it's clubbers. And with the, the Hyde, SBE Hyde project coming, they're going to get more of that. So it doesn't really matter. You know, why not just cut the money, go Mandalay Bay on the thing and just whatever, throw some right. people in there and who cares what happens? It I doesn't would, matter. I would definitely – these seem like if I was going to pick a property to stick these designs into, I could totally imagine these being a Mandalay kind of room. I mean that would make a lot more sense to me in terms of the way the hotel sort of thematically seems to exist. Um, Dave, Jeff, any th- thoughts? I'm sure you've seen this post and these photos. No, I think uh, Chuck's covered it pretty well. Yeah. So you- I, I would I would say that um, the the look it certainly does have a very sort of light, um, you know, maybe Fontainebleau, Miami Beach, kind of what you might expect to see in a hotel like that. Um, so you know, some people I think on uh, Chuck's message board have men- mentioned uh, Tropicana. Um, I you know I think it looks probably a little nicer than that, but I think there is a disconnect between what you'd expect at Bellagio um, with the way the rest of the property looks. You know, Aria's room rooms, I think, fit in with the design of the property and the look of the property, the common areas. The same thing holds true for even the redesigned rooms at Wynn, the rooms at Encore. They sort of fit with the property. Not sure that that's true at Bellagio, um, if those are the rooms that they end up doing. Um, in terms of, in terms of the actual stuff in the room, some of it I agree with Chuck. It looks pretty cool. Um, thank God the Schrank, uh, the armoires are leaving. The, yeah. You know, those, those have been, you know, so out of date for so long, and it really has amazed me that they've stayed with those you know, gigantic wrecking ball TVs for as long as they did. So, um, <laughs> you know, good, good for them for, uh, finally, uh, you know, making a move to, uh, enter the, uh, you know, the new millennium. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. I, I was, um, very curious to see, uh, what they did. Um, and you know, we do have, we do have a really interesting counterpoint with Wynn who did redesign their rooms, um, just recently, uh, so it, it's easy to draw comparisons, and um, I, yeah, I really, like I said earlier, so far what, from what I've seen, I'm, I'm disappointed, but maybe cautiously optimistic that they'll change something or do something different or have different styles. If this is this is a premier redesign. You know, when you redo Bellagio, you're redoing Bellagio. You know, you're not. It's not just changing the wallpaper and yanking out some blankets and stuff like this is Bellagio, you know, they've had years and years and years to talk about it, to discuss it, to think about it, to tinker with it. How do we want to go? Do we want to go a full court? Do we want to go half court? Do we want to, you know, I am just baffled at, at how they, they went overboard, but there's no subtlety really to the whole thing. It's kind of a mess. It's a disaster. You know, <laughs> with all that they learned from, from Aria, they, you figure they would have just said, okay, let's go elegant. Let's go simple. Let's go basic. You know, right. they've had plenty of time to talk about it, test it, and, and do it. And maybe they just haven't. Maybe they didn't do any of it. Yeah. 
You know, it just it seems like there's a, definitely a disconnect here. Yeah, I, I'm 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 beside myself and trying to understand it. And as as far as I know, we haven't seen any any sweet redesign concepts. Is that right? Well, there was the the salons which were rolled out what two years ago, two right? And a half years ago. But as far and they're as totally different, they're totally different. So there's three flavors of of rooms out there now. Yeah, and they they sort of seemed like some of the higher end rooms that they also that they did when they rolled out the spa tower, which were different from Bellagio's standard suites. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, I mean it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, if they do roll this out property wide and also customer reaction, I personally, like I said, I'm kind of disappointed, but, um, I'm willing to give them a try. Definitely. I mean, I, I still really like the property, so, uh, I'll give it a go, but, um, man, it's sort of mystifying. <laughs> All right. Um, if for for those listeners that may not have seen those photos, they're uh, on Vegas tripping, and I'll make sure I link to them in the show notes. Um, let's talk about the Sahara. Um, Sahara is, you know, probably the nicest hotel on the Strip. Um, it's got it's in a great location. Uh, it, you're not bothered by any pesky neighbors. Um, so clearly, obviously, the Sahara has been closed for a while now, but they've been selling off all their stuff and. Uh, there's been pictures of this all over. Dave, you posted some on 2A. Chuck, you posted some. I've seen some all over the place. So that we've seen a lot of photos of what this was like. But Dave, you were there. You bought, Did you buy anything? No. Okay. But you observed. Um, yes. You took photos of yourself kicking back in the office and, you know, pretending like you ran the place. What was it like? Um, you know, what was the experience like? Intensely depressing. Really? Yeah, um, I've not felt this bad since last year's World Series of Poker, where I was kind of like, whoa, I didn't know Tweaky was on the line. That's awesome. <laughs> you guys hearing that or just me? Yeah, no, it's, I think it's someone's phone ringing. <laughs> yeah, cool. it's my phone ringing. Okay. I got I to gotta step off for a second. No so. problem. That's, a, that's yeah. a great ringtone, though. Thanks. Um, okay. Yeah, um, last year for the World Series of Poker, I had the bright idea of doing a story where I was going to interview the first bust out in the main event. Mm-hmm. So the first guy who spent ten grand and came all the way to Vegas. So I was just kind of wheeling around like a vulture, angel of death, and it was it was awful for like forty five minutes. This was about just as bad. Kind of just watching all of the little pieces of the carcass of the Sahara being carted out slowly, and just seeing the semi decrepit back of the house areas. Mm-hmm. Um, which the, I got a walk through on Monday, and there was a really bad fly problem. Mm. So it was almost like, you know, going into hell or something. Wow. Was like Lord of the Flies stuff, literally. It was really bizarre. Um, and just seeing everything kind of moldering and everything being sold off, you know. Walking through the theater and seeing the paperwork that terminated people. Uh. Like, hey, as of the state, you don't have a job. Like, all these people don't have a job. This is your official notice. You know, that was depressing. The most depressing thing was that picture that I that I posted of all the Christmas stockings mm-hmm. from the main cage, like, just sitting in this big bin you know waste bin it's just like oh my god there was people and i i talked to a woman who worked there for about 35 years it's like wow so well that was pretty sad i mean it it's it seemed i i talked to um some other folks that also went through and, and bought stuff and um it it seemed like they were literally selling everything and i want to say that wasn't nailed down but they were selling stuff that was nailed down i mean they were yeah. they were selling everything down to like yeah. the the signs on the walls to the toilets and bidets and sinks and the i mean everything 
even beyond that, you know, the walk-in freezers, they're yeah. selling those. They, they get popped out, so they're selling those. Pretty much everything down to the wiring, but not including the wiring. So they, they're not going to be selling the wiring, but they're selling the entire surveillance system, uh-huh. the cameras and everything. Uh-huh. They're selling escalators. They're selling the sign out front, I think, is eight grand, but the liquidator guy said it'll cost you three times that to get it shipped anywhere. Hmm. So they're selling a ton, like pretty much everything. I really want to go through with a nice camera and take pictures after it's been gutted. It would be really interesting to see, I mean, kind of probably a little creepy, um, but yeah, absolutely, to see um, what it looks like after it's been completely gutted. I mean, it, it seems clear that we won't be seeing a reopened facility anytime soon. There's no way. The stuff that they're selling, there's no way. If you were going to be opening up a casino anywhere in the U.S. or anywhere in the world, you would be selling this stuff, you know. Why would you be get, getting rid of your shuffle master shufflers? Yeah. You know, which are well, not going to take a ton of storage space. Why wouldn't you just put them in a storage locker or warehouse for a couple of years? Like, why are, you dump, why are you selling that stuff? And that's really the thing that um, has gone unreported that sort of second order thinking, uh, you know, not to continue my recent Jeremiah's against local media, but you know, you have when, you know, so many people have been idly speculating that, Oh, maybe, you know, somebody else will buy it and reopen it or, or, you know, Nazarian may, you know, you know, he's just using this as a chance to, as, as a tactic to get rid of some dead wood, you know, old union employees and open up with a younger, fresher crew in a, you know, year or two or three. Um, none of those are in the offing. Clearly with some of the, you know, some of the big equipment items they're selling, no way would somebody sell those unless, because that, you know, you really have to put even more hundreds of millions in to open it up as a decent place. So clearly um, the place is being set up for, and a total or an almost total uh, implosion or demolition. Yeah, you know, if you're going to have any kind of theater, I don't know why you would dump out all the lighting equipment, all the mixing boards, all that stuff. Basically, every, they're getting rid of everything, which leads me to believe there's nothing salvageable. Yeah. And that surveillance system was actually kind of new. It was a digital system. You know, the liquidator was really proud of it and thinks he's going to get a lot of money for it. It is pretty. I mean, that. They, sorry, go ahead. Oh, they also had utensils, silverware, and stuff that was never out of the box. That they'd ordered but never used. It, some of that stuff looks maybe brand new, but seeing some of the photos that I saw, um, <laughs> some of the stuff in that place is so decrepit and old. I saw like the light, the lighting controls in some of the suites, and it looks like it was literally from like 1970. Yeah, this, the the uh, the rooms were pretty outdated with the ones I were in. I mean, it's that unbelievable how old those things are. I mean, they clearly haven't been updated in ever for like forever. Yeah, I mean, but it's just. There's there's absolutely no way they're going to open something there, given what they're selling, unless there's some new kind of alchemy where you sell everything you have for pennies in the dollars, then buy it new when you can't get credit anywhere, and somehow that works for you. Right. <laughs> well, you know, if anyone can do it, Nazarian can. That's that's definitely a, a Nazarian maneuver. And I got I got a couple of other, other tasty tidbits talking to some of the employees, you know, which other people might have heard is the first time I'm hearing them. Apparently, when Sam came to town, he never stayed at the Sahara. He stayed at, he stayed at Wynn. So, and that was some of the employees I talked to, you know, didn't want to badmouth the guy, but they said, you know, yeah, that was part of the problem. You know, he didn't really, he never stayed here, even as a guest. 
So that's kind of the problem there. And apparently they were just, they feel that the SBE folks were, some of them were trying hard, but in, for the most part, they were pretty disingenuous from the start. That, I mean, that's really telling that he wouldn't even stay in his own hotel. He's, apparently he's willing to like come and do clandestine deals on the roof of the parking lot, but he's not, he doesn't want to use it for uh, sleeping. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like, de- that's the kind of a detail that needs to be in print. Um, he's very difficult to get a hold of. They don't, you know, he, he's he's pretty uh, reclusive in terms of the press. He only comes out of hiding when he can, you know, con the Wall Street Journal into believing some, you know, um, crazy tale he wants to spin. But but um, if you could get him on the record to say he never even stayed in his own joint, what a damning thing that is, you know, not for, for the way he thinks about that property and what a piss-poor operator he is or was. Yeah. And playing off from the reclusive thing, you just gave me a great, great setup there. You know, never staying at the property, he's basically the anti-Howard Hughes. <laughs> you know? And the, the anti-Steve Wynn, too. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and it's also kind of funny that, you know, and again, I don't know, I don't have his credit card bill or his hotel folios. I can't say definitively he never stayed there. He always stayed at Wynn. That's what the employees told me. And it's kind of funny that he wasn't staying at Bellagio, too. Although maybe he was doing that. Well, I think... I think if you get him on the record, you say, have you ever stayed at your hotel? Have you spent a night staying in a bed in that hotel? And if he says no, I mean, you know, the guy just looks like a complete idiot. Um, and if he says yes, then, you know, somebody somebody's not telling the truth. Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, these folks don't have that much of a reason to lie now. If you're going right. to, if they're going to make something up, you can make something up a lot worse than that. Like he never stayed here. Well, uh, just, I don't think any of us doubt that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think all of us would believe that yeah. he never stayed there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so how long is the sale Dave? Is it over yet? Or is it still going? Oh, oh it's another two months. Oh, oh wow. I didn't realize it was so long. I thought it was like two weeks. Yeah. So, it's a 60, 60 day thing. What's going to be left at the end? Nothing. I mean, Really nothing. You know, um, I talked to the liquidator. I did a really long interview with him, and only a little bit of that made it in the print. Basically, what happens is after 60 days, um, whatever isn't sold gets donated to charity. So probably ends up in some hotel overseas somewhere or something or some youth hostel, you know, in uh, Kazakhstan or something. Mm-hmm. And basically, after that, they kind of turn everything back over to the SBE people. Pretty much what SBE people did was they came in, they cleared everything out of the offices, they were in the process of sanitizing the computers, and all of them were being sold. Um, and everything else, pretty much everything else is being sold. And he, you know, the liquidator, who's been doing this for, I think, 37 years, mm-hmm. was very adamant. It was totally the most blase guy I've ever met. You know, come in, oh, so I guess you must be pretty pleased with the crowd. Eh, that's what I expected. <laughs> totally blase guy, um, which I gotta give him credit for. He says, you know, without a doubt, everything's going to be gone in sixty days. You know, hmm. What if it's not gone? It'll be gone. Huh? Well, if it's or, not gone, they should send it to uh, a youth hostel in the Sahara. It'd be, it'd be, very, <laughs> be very appropriate. Pretty much, people might be interested to know what they're doing with the rooms. Is they're opening up about five rooms at a time, and I think they're still in the Tangiers Tower. Uh-huh. And from tower to tower, and I forget. Chuck, you know which which tower is the one that had the renovated rooms? That's the Tangiers. It's the one in the back. Yeah. So they're right. starting in there, and they're kind of opening up five floors at a time. And as they get looted, they're opening up five. <laughs> <floors>. Looted. <laughs> and they're eventually going to cycle through all the towers. It's funny you say looted because uh, uh, someone I was talking to that was there said that it felt like the aftermath of a riot, where people were like literally just grabbing stuff out of 
um, like storefront windows and filling up carts. Yeah, it was insane the stuff people were buying, you know, and there's some really, it's really kind of interesting looking at the people who just want cheap silverware and stuff. So the people kind of cherry picking stuff. Then you had, you know, I was kind of shadowing these folks who were, who came from a restaurant somewhere in California who were getting their marching orders from somebody back in California. Like, okay, what's the safe deposit box supposed to look like? You know, so apparently they'd gone through on the website and picked stuff out and were uh-huh. saying, like, okay, you need to get this and this and that. So I think most of it, he had said, like, the liquidator said 70% of the people were from the public, 30% was from the industry, but I think a lot of the sales is going to be for the industry because, you know, like that tractor trailer size uh-huh. dishwasher yeah. right i you know i was actually kind of surprised some of the prices seemed a little bit high to me based on some of the i mean this is like a glorified garage sale to some degree and some of the some of the stuff i was like you know some of these you could go and just buy them brand you know brand new for the same price so, i mean some of the stuff was obviously very unique but there was a lot of generic stuff like kitchen crap that seemed like it wasn't really priced to sell but who maybe i'm wrong Rusty yeah, you know. pots for three bucks. Rusty pots for three bucks a pop. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they're also going to, you know, even though they don't haggle with you, that's really verboten. They will not haggle with you. It's a liquidation sale, blah, 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 blah. But as it goes on, if that stuff doesn't sell, they will drop, drop the price. And they, uh, the liquidator dude, Hayes, was telling me he does eight of these a year. Like, again, the most blase guy about this you could imagine. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. And about 10 companies bid on this, and they're the ones who won. Huh. Well, it's interesting. If, if so, if anybody is um, going to Las Vegas, you can still check this out for the next bit. I think it's what ten bucks to get in. Not anymore. It was oh, ten okay. bucks the, the first four days because they didn't want to have a lot of looky loos coming in and Makes crowding sense. the place. So pretty much now, um, you can just kind of wander around. You can wander uh, around and, and not buy anything. But oh yeah, the one Chuck, thing also. Chuck, oh, go ahead, Dave. Oh, just riffing on Chuck's. Uh, Post in Vegas tripping, basically, once you get there, you find out that there is a 10% buyer's fee out of mm-hmm. Basically, it just means they inflate the cost of everything by 10%. Right. I, I don't okay. know what the deal with that is, but that's what they do. I mean, why didn't they just put mark all the prices up, like uh, on the label? It seems very, I, very odd. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's like a resort fee. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah. Chuck, <laughs> Chuck I'm, I'm just wondering if uh, you're planning to buy any elevator carpeting. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Yeah, that's that sounds like a great idea. It would go great in my place. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is showing up on eBay already. I was looking yeah. last night, and you know all those camel lamps and all kinds of other stuff. If you search for Sahara Casino stuff on eBay, there is now a flood of stuff. So clearly, a lot of people were going in to resell uh, whatever they could get their hands on that has nostalgia, you know, behind it. Yeah. Camel lamps that I was looking at just a little while ago on the eBay. It was, uh, I think, it, one bid was up to two sixty, and yeah. it still hadn't hit the reserve. I saw, yeah, I was seeing them in like the two fifty three hundred range. Some guy was selling two for like six fifty by it now. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely what what do they cost? Like one hundred and fifty bucks or something? Like, yeah, I mean, the liquidator said these are you know basically the big buy of the thing. Right. For they before they let the liquidator in, they gave I think about seven hundred of them to. Um, customers mm. and stuff like that, and also this was the single thing that was stolen the most out of the rooms. <laughs> so they, he's like, this one is the thing, you know. So yeah, that that one is gonna. If I if I was gonna buy one thing, I think that would be it. Yeah, 
That cool. that or like I really wanted those front door poles. I think those would yeah. be really awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, well, it, it's a very interesting thing. I I you know it makes me kind of wish I was there to at least walk through it and see it because it sounds just like a sort of freakishly weird thing that doesn't happen very often. Um, so. You should hop in your bat copter. You'll be there in no time. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll consider that. I'll pick, come pick you up. <laughs> uh, that'd be great. Um, well, yeah, I'm glad that we got to see photos and um, and all that good stuff. So uh, <clears throat> thanks for doing that, Dave. And um, uh, listeners that haven't seen that stuff, there's a post on VT with photos. There's a post on um, two-way with photos. And there's a lot of other stuff out and about. So definitely go check those out if you haven't seen them. Um, let's see what's next. Uh, I, I want to make sure we get this one in. So let's do this one next. I want to talk about the plams. <laughs> um, so over the last, uh, couple weeks, um, we've seen some news with the palms. Now the palms has been long rumored to have been in financial trouble. Um, and we had long heard rumors about, um, the, the same private equity folks that contributed to Caesars coming in. And it turns out that they did, along with another partner. Um, and so, you know, it looked like that had that uh, that had been fulfilled. The in, uh, then then uh, maybe a few days after that news had be- become public, some additional information came out, which was that the Maloof family ownership percentage has been reduced to a whopping two percent. Um, so while um, George Maloof remains on as I believe chairman is his title, um, <laughs> he like Robert Earl. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, well, they don't have anything approaching a controlling percentage, and even though there are, I guess, some some uh, performance based potential warrants that could be executed in the future that could bring their ownership percentage back up to 20%. It seems pretty clear that he is a casino owner in name only. Um, so let's talk about this because I wrote a little thing on my site basically saying, um, you know, in the past there's been a lot of talk as Maloof is uh, a great operator the guy is is basically murned himself out of out of his <laughs> own family business. How smart is this guy? Um, you know, I, I the counterpoint, I guess, is uh, he was caught in a bad economy, but you know, he he made some decisions that definitely um, influenced that. I mean, the the massive construction building that they did. So you know. If he's not responsible, who is? I mean, if Jim Murren is responsible for uh, damming city center with condos, why isn't Maloof to blame for what happened at the Palms? And if he did wipe out so much of his family's equity in the project, why is he a good operator? Um, he's, I, more, he's more responsible than Jim Murren. Because Jim Jim Murren wasn't the CEO and the city center decisions were made. He may have been an advocate on behalf of what they did at city center, but Terry Lanning was the CEO. Um, I think, I don't think that it's a sign of, you know, we typically use the word operator in terms of how you run the joint. Um, I think clearly Maloof is to blame. Um, he got the uh, company in way, you know, way over leveraged. Uh, building the fantasy tower and following up so quickly with um, Palm's place. He wanted to strike while the iron was hot. 
Um, the condo thing seemed like a, a brilliant decision. He sold every condo hotel unit there, um, just never, never anticipating that the market could drop so far so fast that the people would walk away from their substantial deposits. Um, but those deposits that you know they get to keep, um, that doesn't make up enough to cover the cost of the loans, 600 million in loans they took mostly for Palm's Place um, that um, they had. So obviously a bad financial decision. You know, companies have a chief financial officer and a chief operating officer. Maloof, is, Maloof has b both those hats. Um, and as a, as a guy who made the decisions about how they're going to spend their money and the timing of it and the strategy of it, obviously he gets the blame, but I, you know, I still am going to resist the, the describing him as a bad operator. I think, and Steve Wynn has told me, and many people have told me, George Maloof is a brilliant operator in terms of the day-to-day -day operation of the casino, the hotel. He understands what's going on in every part of the business. Wow. He does it very well. He just he did make some timing mistakes. Um, he made strategy mistakes. He fully gets the blame, but I don't think that makes him a bad operator. It, may, it means that he made a mistake, a bad decision. It's just like Deutsche Bank, when they made the decision, hey, we're going to keep the Fertitas in charge. If, if Deutsche Bank didn't think the Fertitas were good operators, they, they could have tossed them out on their ass. But on their asses, but no, they know they're good operators. I think the people at Leonard Green and Texas Pacific know Maloof is a good operator. That's why they still, even though he is only a 2% owner, they want him running that property. He knows it best and he's good at it. So Hunter, you're absolutely right. He, he is the fall guy and should be, and should be blamed for the problems they had, but that doesn't mean there's anybody else who could run that place better than he can. I don't think there is such a person. Okay. Well, ho hold on one second. First off, Steve Wynn, one week will tell you that the people uh, that Bobby Baldwin is a genius, and the next week he'll say that the people running City Center are morons. So the yeah, guy, I mean, right, his, right. his opinion not, like I'm varies totally with the wind. I'm totally going on what Steve Wynn says. I'm, I mean, I've talked to, I've talked to Michael Gon. I, I would be hard pressed to find people in the business who would say George Maloof is a bad operator. Yeah. I mean, you know, plenty of people say he made a bad mistake. He'd tell you he made a mistake. He wished he hadn't done that. Well, but you know, you can't go back in time. The other thing, though, I would put forth as potential evidence is, you know, one of the reasons the Palms was so successful was their affiliation and partnership with the Nine Group. He basically ran those guys out on a rail, um, and so you know, you put these things together, and I start to wonder. If he is was just lucky, or whether he really is the wonderkind that um, some people have made him out to be. Well, you know, I've I've also got to say I don't know how great his judgment is if he's picking up DUIs and stuff like that. You know, to me that seems like something you, if you are this big casino owner, yeah, you should probably have a designated driver. You know, that to me that hate to be a buzzkill there. But the thing that I think is incredible about this, and I hate to bring that up again, but the thing that I think is incredible okay, about Dad. This is the way the local media is totally you know, they sent out the press release, which all right, you know, some I get the press release, I'm like, all right, there's a press release that says this, but I'm like, hmm, this is kind of thin, I don't know. And you see the article started popping up, just reprinting the press release with no real you know, no real numbers there, and then it comes out the next day, oh yeah, um, 
he his stake has changed to two percent. Yeah. What was it one percent before? And just totally there's no it's like for 50, examination of this. It's for like, like fifty yeah. bucks he'd be like, you know, not you know, not even an owner. Yeah, he lost eighty three percent of his share. Well the other, resort, the other you know, story like, that's the, the story. Is also the Greenspun angle, right? What happened to them? I mean, what did they they got aced out of this one too? Those guys must be, you know, they they really have had a tough go the last couple of years uh, yeah. with their casino holdings. I mean, jeez. <laughs> yeah. So to me, that's kind well, of curious. I, in terms of, you know, I think, and and I'm going to play, uh, you know, armchair psychiatrist here, uh, dime store psychiatrist. You know, George has had a tough couple of years. I mean, when you see your family business um, imploding, you know, all around. I mean, their basketball team's in trouble. This hotel is in tr- is it was in big trouble. I'm sure he, you know, he worried about you know what, what, you know losing the entire thing and and losing you know all but two points um, is almost as bad as it can get. I mean, it, it was it's a pretty darn bad circumstance. Um, I'm not saying that excuses the bad judgment of not having a driver and driving, you know, while intoxicated. Um, you know, I'm not going to play holier now and say that I've never done it. Um, so, but what I would say is that he made a bad decision there. Um, he has made um, a couple mistakes. That nine group thing, you know, tough times make for tough partnerships. I mean, I'm sure thing, you know, George is probably trying to squeeze as much money as he can out of the out of the revenue producing streams, trying to see if he can, you know, convince his debt holders to, you know, st- you know, hold off on the action that they ended up forcing him into. Um, so he's and maybe he feels like his partners uh, holding out money on him or whatever. Um, you know, I, Hunter, I don't have a good explanation for it. I don't know what's going on in the inside, and I maybe maybe I am wrong. Maybe it has all been a, an incredible charade. I will say that I feel like the Las Vegas media has not asked the, the tough questions. You know, you get George, George Lewis is very easy to get on the phone. He's not necessarily a guy who's very quotable. But, I mean, to me, you know, I, I just saw Norm's column today. Everybody just sort of takes whatever he says at face value. And nobody's saying, hey, man, that, that's got to suck losing 95% of your family's equity in this business. Um, you know, what, you know, do you feel like you failed, um, you know, and, and, and sort of press them on some tough questions, not to say, um, that, you know, other people could have done much better, but, um, I, I feel like David, Dave is right. And obviously I've been, uh, ranting about it in various venues for a little while. I think that the questions have been lame. The writing has been lame and we need tougher questions, tougher discussion on, you know, not just this company, but other companies that have been in a p- recent position of failure. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know. I just, I got a little bit sick of, I guess, exactly what you're sort of referring to, which is sort of the kid glove treatment that he seemed to be getting on the issue. I mean, the guy, I don't know him. I've met him for two seconds. He seems really nice. He hosted our event twice and was very accommodating. Um, thanks again, George. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the, you know, it, it, this, it seems like there's a lot more to this story and you're right. He, it wasn't, at least at first, especially at first presented as anything other than, um, almost like a net positive. I mean, it, it, it's, it yeah. seems, uh, like, you know, he, he's more responsible than, than people have been, uh, Making him assign him. I, I want to throw Marnell into the group here, yeah, because he also lost control of his 
property as well in this a similar type of situation you know the debt kind of strangled him you know in the company and they couldn't maintain it it got sold off by the bank you know and they, he's he's now the president of the company as well so he opened up knowing that he i mean the timing there tony marnell told me when i asked him when he opened i said in a year what you know what says that you know what what will you use to judge whether um, you know, you've been a success. He said, if I still am in business, is this, if I still, you know, can keep control of this place. Um, I mean, he knew as they opened how bad it was. I believe MGM had written off the value of their pretty substantial investment in that property down to zero yeah. before the place opened, yeah, that's you correct. know, or, or, or almost immediately thereafter. And, you know, it was, it was a horrific time to be in business. Um, everyone who was over leveraged, you know, got, got crushed. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it affected some of these people who are really good guys, really smart operators. I mean, you go look at the properties and you can see it's a, they're, they're beautiful places, cool places, you know, doing business, but they just aren't doing enough business to, you know, be able to keep the, uh, the creditors at bay. Yeah. I think, um, it is interesting to, to include Marnell in that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think he's got an interesting story to tell, I'm sure. Um, all right. I, I don't want to harp on this too much because there's a lot of other stuff I was hoping to get to today. So for now, um, we will leave Mr. Maloof as the chairman um, of his mighty gaming organization. Um, <laughs> and I wish him well in his endeavors. Um, but uh, let's move on. I want to – let's see. Okay, we've got a couple other things. I want to slide in maybe a quickie here. Um and then, and then after that, talk about Atlantic City a little bit. So the the quickie is just sort of an interesting little bit uh, that we saw in the paper. I think it was Howard Stutz about Wynn and Adelson getting along a little bit more, and also um, and to sort of include in that conversation, Wynn now saying how his life's goal is to build a hotel in Singapore. Um, I think both of these things are are kind of interesting. I mean, Wynn and Adelson have been longtime rivals. Um, said some pretty nasty things about each other, uh, and 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 um, I think Howard was, uh, you know, now highlighting the fact that they've sort of been warming up to each other. Um, what's the story with that? Is that is that just, uh, you know, you you get a little bit older and you realize there's less reason to be such an asshole? Look at their companies; they have so much more in com- common than they, uh, you know, than um, they do reason to, you know, to fight. I think, um, you know, in, from 2000, you know, four to, you know, 2006, um, 2007, um, the, you know, times are great and there's an ego battle. Adelson thinks he's king of the world because he's making more money than anyone, anyone else in the business worth way more than almost everyone else in the business put together. Um, and, uh, you know, I think generally in the industry, win is win is perceived as, except maybe in money matters, as the you know the the top dog in terms of design, in terms of deal making, um, in terms of having the absolute best properties. So there's that. There, those are the things that that they thought about. I think ego problems, but there's so much that they have in common. Chief among them now. The desire to um, make everybody in Macau think that these American operators are good for the market. 
Um, you know, there's only, I think there's less than a decade before Macau's concessions start expiring. Um, and then they'll expire for a couple of years. I think the last one is the one Wynn sold to uh, 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 Carrie pa- or James Packer um, that PBL Melco have. But those all expire, and, and Macau is under no obligation to renew those concessions. Obviously, you know, if, if Adelson doesn't finish building his, you know, his properties till 2015 and he loses his concession in 2020, um, he, you know, um, he's not going to, I mean, he's still going to more, have more than made his money back on the early properties, but the late properties, that's in question. Obviously, he wants to keep his concession, so does Wynn. Um, so they need to play nice together. Um, it's in Wynn's interest that Adelson not look really bad in terms of, you know, some of the allegations that um, his uh, former executive made um, about um, the Macau government and other things in Macau. So I think they do have things in common. Um, we know Wynn's politics have clearly moved towards Sheldon's um, in Las Vegas. They, they, you know, they occupy some of the same you know, the same geographic turf at the north end of the Strip. Um, you know, so they do have a lot in common. Um, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if some issue or other, um, you, know, br- you know, brings them back to, you know, disagreement. But, but I thought it was a really interesting piece that Howard wrote. I was amused by his use of the term frenemies for those guys. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just an interesting way of looking at things. I mean, times do change. Um, Hunter, you alluded to Mr. Wynn's sort of mercurial nature. Um, I, I think anyone who's listened to their conference calls or, you know, paid attention to what he's had to say um, would agree that he sometimes can be. Certainly Sheldon can be as well. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, they, they happen to be in a uh, friendly stage. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. Do you think that uh, – do you guys think that he's going to end up in Singapore at some point? I mean, I believe that there's not even another potential for a concession until, what, like 2017? That's not far. Absolutely. Yeah. I know, I know that before he pulled out of Singapore, um, you know, there was all every likelihood that Singapore was only going to pick one American operator. Right. Um, you know, Wynn said he didn't have any time to put into it and still do justice to Wynn Macau. Um, I'm not sure if that was, you know, the, the true reason. Uh, maybe he had a hint that, you know, the way the wind was blowing there. But I think that he has a very good relationship with the government people in Singapore. It would not surprise me at all if, uh, you know, the, the people in Singapore look and say, hey, um, you know, look at the money, the, ha- the money that's rolling in hand over fist. Uh, maybe we could use a hotel near the airport. Maybe we could use a hotel at some other place, a downtown, more of a downtown location. You know, who knows what they might do, but I guarantee a win would be, you know, a prime choice if they did decide to, you know, open up one or two more places. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, that Singapore market's just really taken off like gangbusters. Though, I mean, Hunter, yeah, yeah. You know, the opening of Win Kotai. The starting of that, the, the, the shovels hitting the dirt, uh, is a win for Sheldon and his buddies because, sure. right. you know, more people in the neighborhood means more people in the neighborhood. Right. And uh, that's, that's good for everybody involved. And, you know, Steve is going to be – if that's what it takes to kind of – to be a good neighbor, to help everybody, and if that's what it takes to get Sheldon to – 
possibly put in some words with the Singapore folks or whatever, you know. These guys are paving the road for each other to a degree. If they're both making money, all, you know, the rising tide raises all their boats. Right. So some may help here, some may help there, even though they are competitors. There's enough cash coming through that pipeline, you know, that they can all suck as much out as they want. Raises all gondolas, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, you're, I mean, and Jeff, I think you alluded to this too. They're, they're natural um, allies in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously they're fierce competitors, but they have um, a lot in common, and it seems like it's been ego that has kept them apart. So it'll be interesting to see if this uh, sort of truce of sorts um, holds. Uh, so we'll see. Who knows? It will. All right. I want to move over to New Jersey. Um, Dave, you wrote something about this linking to a really great piece by – now I can't remember the author's name. I'm sure you know who it was. Wayne uh, Perry. Yeah, Wayne Perry. Um, really interesting story sort of about what's happening in Atlantic City and um, you know where they can go from here. And it gives a really good perspective on like, kind of how decimated – Things have been, especially by Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is about, to, I guess, about to overtake uh, Atlantic City in revenue. Um, so, can you just tell us a little bit about about that? And um, I guess I'd be just interested to hear your your prognosis for Atlantic City at this point. Basically, there's a bunch of really wacky stuff going on in Atlantic City right now. You've got the governor trying to semi take over the city and create this tourism district that will take a lot of the responsibility away from the local government. You've got a couple of casinos not doing so well. Probably the last one left that's really struggling is the Hilton, the Atlantic City Hilton. Um, Dennis Gomes, who's been in the industry for a really long time, just took over resorts and has started, you know, is kind of running that. Uh, You've also got Golden Nugget, just bought Trump Marina, and has just renamed that Golden Nugget Atlantic City. And the latest thing that's kind of weird and wacky is Hard Rock is again threatening to spend $275 million on a 200-room hotel and casino. One of these, one of these mini casino. places, right. Yeah, which to me, again, I, you know, I'm not a CFO, but when you see that the marina sold for, I think, somewhere around $30 million, and they're putting in $150 million into renovating it. I think they actually cut it down to $100 million in renovations. And they're going to have basically a 2,000-room, 2,000-slot, about 80-table hotel. I don't see how you can compete with that with something that's much smaller, has about maybe a fifth the size of the – actually a tenth the size of the rooms and about a fifth the size of the casino. So I don't know how that works. Um, basically what's happened in Atlantic City is – Originally, there was a lot of growth. It was kind of like Macau's right now. Until about 1985, everything was going nuts. It was just expanding. People were really afraid that Vegas was fading. This is when the recession had hit pretty strong in Vegas. Um, in 82, for the first time, Atlantic City casinos made more than strip casinos in gaming revenues. And really, it's until about 85, people thought Atlantic City was going to be the future. Right. In 85, table play started to really level off. And is table play today is about where it was in 1985. And accounting for inflation, that's awful. Right. So basically, they lost most of the high end. Um, 
another thing that happened is you started to have more competition. Mm-hmm. And I lived through this. You know, when I was a really little kid, Atlantic City was the only place with casino games. Right. East of Nevada, it was a big deal. You but you know, got then, what Connecticut and yeah. Then in, in the in the late eighties, well, Connecticut might have some games, but that's not really going to affect us. Even though it's you know a couple hours from New York City, that's not really going to bother us. You know, then in I think it was ninety four, ninety five, Delaware, you know, added slots at the racetracks, and well, that's kind of affecting us, but not so bad. And it was kind of this attitude: well, people are still going to come here because we're that great, and you know, people are going to come here because they have to. When Pennsylvania opened up in 2006, 2007, that was kind of the death knell of any hope for Atlantic City because they really, that really took away a lot of their market share. And you just look at the numbers, you know, the decline in Atlantic City precedes the recession and is much worse than it is in Vegas. So really, it's been a pretty rough couple of years for Atlantic City. And honestly, short of pulling a Las Vegas and totally reinventing itself, I don't know what they do, you know, as I... I think I was quoted in that article as saying, you know, basically they can't go back to the past. There's no use in going nostalgia because that world is gone. You know, it's basically like trying to build the Maginot line to defend against a blitzkrieg, <laughs> you know, when they'll go through Belgium. It's like that's not going to – you can't do that. You know, there's no way they're going to get that world back. You know, right. they basically got to move ahead, which is just what Vegas did, you know. When the market started to change and you had California Indian casinos opening up, they weren't still focused on getting quarter slot players to come up from L.A., you know, and that kind of stuff, they decided to go in the nightlife thing. And that, and the, you know, has worked out pretty well for them. So I think you need the same kind of evolution. I think there was an interesting point in, I think it was in that story saying, I can't, I can't remember who was quoted saying this, but if, if they add slots to the Meadowlands or, or was one of the race, yeah, race the tracks, then that's like game over. Pretty yeah. much. And they've been paying off the horse race industry for a couple of years to keep that from happening. And, you know, basically, it's the classic case of an industry that thrived because it had a monopoly, a very constrained market. Now that the market's opening up and they've got more competition, they're doing awful. And, you know, it's just everything. The fact that they charge people to park, which is, you know, kind of unbelievable. And I was participating in a thread on LinkedIn about this. And one of the executives there is like, what are you talking about? It's no big deal. It's only five bucks. You know, that's not what people really care about. You know, and they expect to get nickel and dimed anyway. So what does it matter? It's like, well, the fact that you've got people reaching into their wallet and taking out five bucks or 10 bucks or 20 bucks when there's a convention in town, you know, before they even come into your casino should be a problem to you. And the fact that they've got much closer places they can gamble now, you know, it's just like adding insult to injury. Well, and it's, I think anytime your business model is people come here because they have to, not because people come here because they want to, uh, that's a huge red flag. I mean, these sort of artificial constraints on gaming, the fact that, 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 um, these, they didn't create enough goodwill with their customers that, you know, they were experiences that they could only get in Atlantic City. Like, you know, you could definitely argue that that's been a big strength of Las Vegas. You know, there, there are experiences you can only have there. Sure, you can gamble at your local casino here in California. There's, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. But there's still, you know, it's, it's still a huge feeder market. And it's because it's a different experience. And it's an experience people are seeking out. Uh, and it's not just because it's the only place that can gamble within a, you know, XYZ radius. Yeah, you know it's also they've never been able to break. They've never been able to break out of that. Um, the 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 you know by far the most Atlantic City visitors 
go there for the day, you know, for the night. You know, they, they ride, you know, they, they either cruise in and out on a bus or they drive down or take the train down or whatever it is they do. Um, it's tough to fly in. People don't stay there for a few days. I mean, you know, sure, Borgata may have added a little bit to that, maybe Revel will. But the problem is they had a lot of time as these markets were one by one springing up around them, peeling off. You know, the locals, gamblers, who are going to go to the place that's most convenient to them, they had they had time to try and expand their resortability, expand, you know, they have some convention stuff, expand their convention stuff, but they really, have, you know, the, 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 the companies, the operators, and the, and the really insane local government and less than supportive sometimes state government were unable to cooperate and come up with a vision that enabled them to, and, and maybe the, the people in the market just aren't looking for that. Maybe, you know, it, maybe it's not a winning, maybe they can't win, but they really didn't try as hard as they needed to, to try and get people to stay for more days than they do to re- dramatically improve all of those other kinds of offerings that Las Vegas has. Um, and whether it's dining, retail, all that kind of stuff, spa, um, and the convention, you know, cornerstone. All those things um, could differentiate Atlantic City. Atlantic City has an ocean. You know, they have a really <laughs> yeah. big, they have a big asset there. And yet, you know, they just don't parlay that as well as they, as well as they could have can and could have, um, you know, it's very disappointing to me because I love Atlantic City. It's the first place I ever gambled. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it just has been a, a real lost opportunity. And um, I'm not sure if they can, if they, you know, I mean, the market can go on, but I'm not sure that they can become, um, you know, what they hope to, to be the Las Vegas of the East. And I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we, we pretty much only talk about bad news when it comes to Atlantic City, and so this is another another one of those segments. But um, yeah, I gotta was, say, there's there's a little bit of good news with uh, what Gomes is doing at resorts and what's going on with the Golden Nugget. I mean, that's really good. They need more of that. You know, if Revel can get open, that's what they need. You know, they're doing something different, and so I appreciate that. But in general, you know, overall the market hasn't had a ton of vision, and I think you know coming back to Vegas to segue back to Vegas, I'm sure Hunter will. You know, that's really the danger in Vegas, too. In 2011, we we're going to be the third biggest gaming jurisdiction in the world. And I think it's a real danger to get kind of complacent and say, well, that doesn't matter. We're still doing okay. You know, pretty much the folks here have to still be concerned with how much they can expand. I know who Atlantic City needs. George Maloof. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, George. Uh, all right. Um, I, I want to try and squeeze in two more things. Um one is a little bit of predicting stuff, which is always fun to do. But first, uh, I want to see if we can do a real quick um, bit on two Vegas stripping stories that are not directly related but are sort of in the same general uh, wheelhouse, which was one story about a potential name change at Palazzo or a basically de-naming. Um, and then the potential uh, – the the possibility of Excalibur – um, sort of de-theming themselves a little bit or, or uh, repositioning themselves. Uh, Chuck, can you give us the, the penny tour of these two kind of semi-related in concept stories? Yeah, these are, these are uh, kind of just questions. Uh, they're, not, they're not news reports. They're questions. Um, uh, it, uh, Vici contributor Ms. Nomer was at the Tropicana last week 
and he noticed uh, that in the spires at Excalibur, there was a giant chunk taken out of it, like a porthole window, you know, a big, huge piece of it was not there. And uh, it, it got him wondering and thinking, along with uh, some other bits and pieces on, on the Excalibur Twitter feed, about whether or not they're going to drop that name and possibly repaint or, you know, change the entire theme of the property to something more generic and simple. Uh, the Excalibur Twitter feed seems to be calling the property the castle all the time. If you go to their website, they call it the castle there too. Uh, contact the castle, you know, stay at the castle. Uh, kind of like how the Luxor was doing the pyramid. They right. were calling themselves the pyramid a little bit. So, you know, just kind of curious, you know, they, if they keep doing this, uh, they keep calling themselves the castle, the castle, the castle, you know. Two things can happen. Either they're actually going to change the name or the person who's, in tr- who's doing this marketing is doing the brand a disservice by not calling it what it is. You know, So that's possibly what's happening. Uh, regarding the Palazzo, uh, as has been uh, mentioned numerous times, and, and I posted this just because nobody seems to have gotten an answer, is uh, they, they yanked the Palazzo name down from the spine of the building right. on both sides. And one side, they've, uh, they've painted it. They've repainted it with this cream color. And the other side, they, they haven't exactly gotten to the paint. But the, the, the cream-colored one, the, the name has not gone back up. And it also looks like on the, the, the top parts of the Venetian that they're, they're repainting the building and uh, doing some facade work up on the top. And, and it's going to actually look a lot more like... The Venetian's going to look less pink and more brown and cream uh, like the Palazzo. So uh, that leads to the question, uh, you know, would it make sense for them to just dump the Palazzo name? You know, why why bother carrying that second brand? There's really no reason for it. You know, they could just call it the Venetian and right. have it as whatever, the Palazzo Tower, just like the Venetia Tower or right. what have you, you know. Mm-hmm. And then people get in there, you just dump them in whatever room. They don't have to go and manage a second line item, you know, complete, uh, compete on a second line item in Expedia or what have you, uh, things like that. So It's interesting at the Palazzo Venetian because, I mean, it – you know, uh, oftentimes hotels will do separate branding to have very differentiated experiences, especially in terms of doing like price segmentation. Uh, but that doesn't shouldn't really be the case. I mean, they they are often competing for the same markets. I mean, their prices are basically harmonized. So yeah. it, it does seem like there's less of a sort of um, logical reason to have separate branding. Um, it would be definitely be very interesting to see something like that go away. Yeah. Well, you know, Encore has de-emphasized that brand somewhat. You know, it still exists, but they've sort of merged a lot of the marketing into one kind of thing as opposed to maintaining two of these things. So it 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 would, you know, why not just carry one marketing physical plant instead of two? Right. No, I mean, I think it's a it's a, a legitimate question. And um, it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of it, or if, or if it's just uh, you know a normal maintenance type thing, and all that stuff's going to go end up going back up. Yeah. 
As far as the Excalibur goes, I really like the idea of them re- renaming it the Castle because that would be the first Kafka-themed casino anywhere in the world, <laughs> which would be brilliant. I mean, just imagine the fun their slot club would be. Yeah, but I love that movie, Excalibur, man. That was great. <laughs> that was awesome. Helen Mirren was great in that. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think my my gut feeling is that the Excalibur one is more of a – a misguided marketing uh, situation than a name change, but who knows? Yeah. Um, all right. I want to try and stick one more thing in here, which is a quick um, predictions uh, item. Dave, you writ- wrote this a while back, basically, which will we see first? And there are eight options that I'm going to ask each of you guys to weigh in um, <laughs> before we, before we wrap it up. So, the the premise is that in the future, the changing market may require um, some of these places to make changes to the way they do things. Um, and which of these uh, changes do you think we'll see first? So I'm going to rattle these off, and then uh, I'll go uh, person to person. So number one, a casino eliminates its nightclub or day club. Number two, a casino goes entirely non-smoking. Number three, a casino institutes and enforces a dress code after 6 p.m. Number four, metal detectors and limited entry to casinos. Number five, another casino closes on the strip. Number six, a new casino opens on the strip. Number seven, an end to resort fees and other add-ons. And number eight, the end of everyone's favorite 6-5 blackjack. Um, all things that, uh, you know, some of these things I, I, I imagine they would be loath to change, but, um, <laughs> changing conditions may make for, uh, you know, you may have to do some of this stuff. So Dave, as you, in honor of the author of the post, um, do you have a prediction for us? I'm going to say number two, casino goes entirely non-smoking. You're cheating you know. kind of, cause didn't Revel say they were going to do that? In on the strip. Oh, okay, we're just, we're going to limit this scope to yeah, the strip. This is just the strip. Okay, yeah. so I think that maybe that could happen, especially with one of the MGM or Harris properties. So that's that's going to be my guess. Yeah, I think that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, Jeff, what about you? Well, casinos close nightclubs and day clubs all the time, um, so I'm not going to even count that one. I mean, um, Treasure Island, I think. You know, did it? They're replacing it with some kind of a funky bar. But um, I, I, you know, I would say, uh, um, Dave, you know, maybe, maybe number two. But my best that that's non-smoking. But I would probably say a casino closes on the strip. Yeah, and any any uh, projection as far as which which one <coughs> Riviera? <coughs> um, you know, that's a good guess. I mean, if you wanted to count, um, you know, Hooters, that might be a possibility. But yeah, Riviera is probably as good of a guess as as any. Um, you know, it just wouldn't surprise me. But um, I don't really have a um, a solid prediction based on anything other than a guess. Yeah. Okay. Chuck, what about you? Any predictions on uh, most likely? I got to say, I've looked at this list when Dave wrote this thing, and I've looked at it since you sent this thing around, and. Every time I look at it, my head explodes. <laughs> you, you, you seem to have picked like the perfect um, lattice of disgust, <laughs> and, and, I, and I, I, for the life of me, I, I can't decide. But I'm going to take a crack at it. 
And now my first thought was, okay, six to five blackjack, that might go away. But it's going to go to five to five blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> or five, five fifty, <laughs> five and a quarter. To, uh, but, but I'm going to say I think number five, another casino to close on the strip. And my guess is it's going to be bills hmm. and it's going to close for a complete and total renovation. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good. That's a good prediction. Um, I was definitely going to say uh, number five as well. Um, I'm not quite as rosy. Uh, I think I agree with Jeff. I think we're going to see a casino close. And if I was going to guess, uh, I uh, the Riviera seems like, given the closing of the Sahara, it's going to just put too much strain on their ability to survive. And I wouldn't at all be surprised to see that close. Um, so that would be my guess, but it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting set of choices. I mean, some of these things customers hate resort fees, but they seem to still pay them um if even if they despise them. And the 65 blackjack thing, anybody that knows about game rules despises them, but I think most people are too dumb to realize that they're getting scammed. So I I I think they're going to be able to get away with that one for a long time or if not even make it worse as you suggested. Chuck. So, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, the customers, I don't think, are smart enough to, uh, to figure out they're getting the short end of the stick. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, if you want to um, – if you're listening and want to voice your own opinion, you can, uh, you can p- put a comment on that post, I guess. There's a bunch of them on there already. Um, I'll oh, make a poll for that. I can make a poll yeah, for Yeah, see, this, there so. you go. Chuck is going to put up um, a, a, a V poll. People. Um for this kind of stuff. That's perfect. All right. We're going to wrap it up. We're a little bit long. Uh, let's do our sure bet segment. This is where we share something with y'all that we think you might like. It doesn't have to be casino related. Um, Dr. Dave, let's start with you. Come back to me. Dr. Dave, we'll come back to you. <laughs> uh, Jeff, what about you? The uh, movie Midnight in Paris. Um, saw it uh, recently and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, good movie. Cool. That's uh, Woody Allen. Is that right? Yeah, Woody Allen produced and or directed it. Um, Owen Wilson and uh, it's a fantastic cast. Great, great story. Uh, if you're, um, I, you know, I'm not going to spoil it all other than to say that uh, I would give it a, you know, very, very high rating. Excellent. Uh, Chuck, do you have anything to share? Yeah, I do. Um, my choice this week is uh, Jeff Simpson on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Jeff has been on fire for the last uh, three or so weeks, man. He, you, Jeff, you're you're killing it, man. Like his analysis of the local media and reading between the stories and between what's what's posted and and really holding people's feet to the fire is is just incredibly refreshing and wonderful. And I feel like. A groupie because I just retweet everything he tweets. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say at Simpson Las Vegas is my pick of the week this week. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, that's a good Thank pick. Thank you very much, Jeff. Especially, Thank it's good to get that media criticism. I know in the past that Steve Fries has done some of that, but he's going to be gone and won't be able to do it at all. And uh, Jeff, obviously, you have a lot of experience in the business and can bring a lot of uh, a unique perspective to, uh, you know, sort of calling it as it is so i agree that's a good pick 
Um, well, I appreciate it. I, I live in a big glass house, but uh, <laughs> that doesn't stop me from throwing the rock. <laughs> um, Dave, are you ready or should I go first? Why don't you go first? Okay. I'm going to um, suggest a series of web videos I saw called Everything is a Remix. Um, there are three of them so far, and I believe there's going to be one more. And it it they, they're really well made and put together. They're really neat. They basically... Um, show how the entertainment industry is basically is based around um, repurpose, repurposing, recreating, reshuffling existing work, uh, and sometimes brilliantly and sometimes blatantly. Um, uh, examples from Quentin Tarantino's work to Star Wars, Flash Gordon. I mean, some of this stuff is is really pretty interesting. They're short maybe six minutes a piece. Um, and they're, they're, like I said, they're well produced. They're just really fun to see, uh, the genesis of some of these concepts that we know very well from popular culture, um, music, movies, uh, that sort of thing. So I'll post links to them in the show notes, but, uh, I, I would recommend watching They're They're interesting, especially if you like pop culture type stuff. Um, they're a lot of fun. So, Dr. Dave. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say that my sure bet is having a newborn at home and not really leaving the house for anything <laughs> except for groceries and taking the kids to the park for uh, <laughs> about two months now. <laughs> so you know, watching absolutely nothing on TV, being unable to stay awake uh, long enough to watch a movie, <laughs> and uh, just having fun with your family in Vegas. You know, I think so. I'll throw in a couple things here. Sunset Park, uh, great time feeding the geese there, even though they get kind of aggressive. And uh, Henderson Multigen Center and Silver Springs Rec Center. That's pretty much where most of my time is being spent these days. So those great. three places. Cool. Congratulations, Dave. Yeah, I don't know if we said that before, but uh, it's a, 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 a good reminder. Congrats. Thank you. I mean, it's great for family happiness and stuff, but your pop culture uh, awareness and everything goes to total crap. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys i think that's it for today um thanks to everyone for being here let me go around the table one more time so you can tell people where they can find you um dr dave we'll start with you where can people track you down um i'm all over the place uh, you can find most of my stuff through dgschwartz.com excellent mr truck monster how about you you can find me at vegastripping.com excellent always a favorite jeff simpson how about you on a Hunter's Two-Way Hard 3 blog on RateVegas.com and on Twitter at Simpson Las Vegas. Excellent. People can find me at RateVegas.com. And thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. You All too. Right. You too. Thanks, cool. guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.